0: Welcome to the New England Take. On WKXL, I'm your host, AJ Kirstead. Be sure to check out nhtalkradio.com, as well as New England Take on Facebook and Twitter uh, to follow what I am posting, my horribleness on uh, Twitter that I sometimes enjoy posting that Chris likes sometimes, who's my guest right now, we'll talk about in a second, <laughs> and all the shows on demand, as well as the video versions. All right, joined today by uh, Chris Maidment. He's a grassroots, currently he's the grassroots organizer over at Americans for Prosperity in New Hampshire, which have had Ross Connolly and such on the show many times, and I'm excited to have you on today to talk about something completely different. Yeah, it's great to be with you, AJ. So you previously were over at New Hampshire Journal, uh, nhjournal.com. I'm a big supporter of that outlet. Uh, I'm on their daily newsletter to get that every morning. But um, you used to be a reporter over there, and you encountered some issues one day when you were on your beat. weren't? Isn't that right?
1: That is certainly true. Yeah, it was great to be over there. Uh, You know, I've moved on to a different gig now, but, you know, NH Journal is a great outlet for covering statehouse and local politics.
0: So what exactly was going on with this, uh, with what you were investigating that day? What was the story about?
1: So back in, of course, you know, December of 2020, uh, it was right after Governor Sununu had implemented a statewide mask mandate uh, and there were a lot of folks upset because the governor had previously promised that he would not do such a thing. And when he did implement a statewide mask mandate uh, by executive order in, in you know late, late 2022, it came about late November 2022, um, there were protests that were ginned up and they were centered at his Newfield home because, of course, the statehouse was closed for, for public business. The governor was primarily operating out of his home. Doing most of the state work there, the legislature was meeting remotely, so the protesters uh, felt it necessary to to go protest at his home, which of course you, New Hampshire doesn't have a governor's mansion like a lot of states. Governor Sununu lives in his his tiny little his, not tiny his you know regular size you know middle class house at the end of a cul de sac, quiet little neighborhood. Um, so the picketing there you know, got the neighbor's attention. It got them a little bit upset because nobody wants picketers uh, at their, on their quiet cul-de-sac. And the town uh, decided that they were going to implement a anti-picketing ordinance. And they had, you know, cooperated with the Department of Justice and the Department of Safety, the state police, and, and they all came together. And the Department of Justice came up with this language. That had been uh, adopted in other states that said, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't have the exact language in front of me, but essentially, uh, you shall not picket on or about uh, private residence. So uh, I broke that story that morning. Um, it had, it had become an ordinance about a week before that. I broke the story on a, a Monday or a Tuesday morning, and uh, immediately one of the organizers or, you know, of this group, it was absolute defiance at the time, I think it's changed names a few times since then, they emailed me and they said, we're going to have a candlelight vigil tonight at the, at the governor's home in, in Newfield. So I sent it over to Michael Graham, and uh, he says, oh, my gosh, I need you to go cover this. And I was like, you know, I really don't want to do that. I don't, I don't want to spend my night, uh, wait, like an hour and a half from exactly. home in the dark, in the cold. And he goes, well, I'll give you, you know, I'll, I'll pay you extra. And I said, all right, fine, I'll go. Um, So I drove over to Newfields to cover this, you know, quote unquote candlelight vigil that was organized by the same group that had been protesting at his house for uh, a number of weeks at that point. And uh, when I I arrived before any of the, you know, protesters, picketers, uh, and there was a large, 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 large state police presence, Newfields police. Um, they had a generator-operated spotlight in the middle of the cul-de-sac. Um, it was clear that they were, they were ready, ready to, uh, <laughs> in, they were ready to enforce this new ordinance and, uh, and you know, hopefully put an end to these protests uh, was their goal, according to minutes at the select board. So um, that's how it started, and then you know the the protesters showed up, you know, right right around when they said they were going to and uh state police immediately confronted them
0: so it's just, just it's just a, a just a perfect storm of ev- tensions being high people saying well we're kind of look we're not de- we're not defying your new uh ordinance you put in effect we're just having a vigil we're not having we're not picketing we're not protesting Tip- just this just sounds typical new hampshire protest to me
1: yeah like oh we're not we're not picketing we're just we're just going to hold a candlelight vigil right here for the mask man it's like okay um but the state police were were, you know they were ready to have none of that um trooper trooper dodds was the first one that i had an interaction with he had an interaction with the, the protesters as well he says he said to them you know you can't stand in one place so if you march you'll be fine but if you stand in place, you're gonna be picketing and we're gonna cite you for it. So they marched a little bit down the cul-de-sac and as they were marching down, he, he approached me. I had been going through my photos at the time. I was you know taking pictures on my digital camera. I was looking through the pictures that I had already and he comes up to me and he says, who are you and what are you doing? And I was like, well, I'm a reporter with New Hampshire journal, nhjournal.com. Uh, I was wearing a, a press badge that was ironically issued by the White House from when I had covered a Trump rally. Um, and he says, well, I've never heard of them, so you have to march with them. And I said, well, I'm, I'm not going to argue with you, but that's really not how that works. So I, I just walked back to my truck and I kept going through my pictures. Uh, eventually they came back, you know, marching back towards the cul-de-sac and they were marching around and I was following them from a distance. Um, the, you know, the spotlight was running, the state troopers had the spotlights on their vehicle pointed at them, following them. And there's this little path that goes uh, between Governor governor's house and his neighbor. And it cuts over to the um, the, there's like a a general store, a town store at the end of the path. So it's a shortcut for people in the cul-de-sac. They walk over to the general store and, you know, whatever. Uh, So they started marching down this path between the two houses um, in the state. The state police kind of swarmed when they started walking down that path and, and, you know, pulled them all aside and started giving, issuing citations, uh, and I you know, was taking pictures this whole time. I'm just trying to stay out of the way. And the, another, geez, you know, six to 12 cruisers pulled in, um, and the there's, there's state police in riot gear get out, and they march up the path um, you know, two by two, and they, they arrest this one fellow, Skylar Bennett, uh, on, a, on a multiple charges. Uh, I believe trespassing was one of them uh, disturbing the peace or disorderly conduct, whatever, I forget what New Hampshire calls it. And then, um, a third one. And so they, you know, he creates quite a scene when he's getting arrested and, you know, they throw him in a, in a cruiser and that's all set. They continue issuing citations to the the rest of the protesters that were there. Um, and then I'm standing there taking pictures. And I asked one of the officers, I said, is everybody that's protesting getting a, a citation right now? And Trooper Dodds, uh, turns to me and he says you were warned you're going to get one too now and i said okay well i'm not going to argue with you like i said earlier i'm here to do my job right exactly i said you know I'm, I'm not going to argue with you now um you know here's my license you give me the citation whatever i'm not gonna i'm not here to cause trouble i'm here to report the story right thinking like i don't want to become the story i just want to report it um well, little little that i know i become part of it right here we are um so I, I took the ticket and I sent it to, you know, Michael Graham. And I was like, Oh, look, all that extra money that you gave me to be here is going to go to this ticket. Now kind of joking around, Obviously, I, I didn't plan on just paying it. Um, and so uh, that was kind of it for that night. And of course, um, you know, I, I had to let Michael Graham write the story after that, because, you know, I can't write a story about myself. That's just not cool. So he wrote the story and it ended up, you know, being kind of a big deal. I think the Washington post mentioned us New York times and, quite interesting uh, right off the bat
0: wow that that's amazing I, I i can't fathom what the officer was necessarily thinking i it, it feel like a, a little bit of it uh, do you feel like some of it might have been a bit of a culture gap i've seen this as being as doing digital reporting and working for a small media outlets like do you do you feel like the reason why the the officer may not have really considered the implications of what they're doing because it was a digital outlet that he just didn't hear of before
1: Well, obviously I can't speak to his motives, right? You know, I I don't know what was going through his head. Um, I did hear relatively recently that uh, members of the state police had infiltrated the Facebook group or the Telegram group that uh, this group Absolute Defiance was using to communicate. Um, And what I was told is that in that group, these Absolute Defiance members were telling uh, everybody that was attending these protests to wear a press badge. and, and the reasoning was that, you know, they can't they can't give a citation to a reporter because it's just a First Amendment thing. Um, and, and so that information may have been relayed to the troopers on scene. And they may have thought I was just a part of the, the protest group, even though, you know, wearing the press badge and claiming to be from an outlet that they, quote unquote, had never heard of. Um, you know, like I said, I can't speak to, to the actual troopers motivations or what was going through his head. Um, but I did I did hear that that was part of what, what happened in that Facebook group.
0: So what happened next with this? Because obviously this becomes a legal issue. Should you decide not to just pay this uh, this fine that you were given in this situation?
1: Uh, So, you know, I at first I was like, okay, well, you know, maybe they really had never heard of it. Um, Of course, I, you know, Kevin Landrigan asked permission to use my my photograph. He's of course the chief political reporter for the for the union leader. Um, so I believe my photographs that I had taken were on the front page of the union leader the next day with my byline. And I was like, you know, you know, all right, maybe they had never heard of it, but maybe the, you know, the, surely the prosecutor is just going to drop this and, and, you know, it'll just go away. I won't have to deal with it. Um, there's no way that they're going to go ahead with prosecuting a reporter for reporting on, you know, state police enforcement of a local town ordinance with questionable constitutional Uh, origins that, you know, a lot of First Amendment lawyers said, oh, not some say it is. But I mean, that's a question for a different day. Um, And I thought I surely I was like, oh, surely this is just going to, you know, kind of go away. Surely the prosecutor will drop it. I I won't really have to worry about it. Um, I was uh, sent the court filing saying that I was due in court uh, originally December 2nd of 2021. Uh, And I believe most of the other Protesters had their court their court dates on or around the same time, and I I had to request the continuance. Uh, Initially, my wife was her due she was pregnant and her due date was December twelfth. She's notoriously early. Um, Both of our kids were born you know a week one was two weeks early one was ten days early. Uh, so I said, all right, this third one is surely got to be early. So I requested a continuance. I didn't want to you know, end up in a situation where I just didn't miss. I missed court for, you know, uh, so the continuance was granted and it was pushed out to May 5th of 2022. Um, as we approached that court date, the prosecutor requested a continuance as one of the Newfield police officers was out of the country. Um, and that was granted and we were given a new court date of July 7th so that's obviously, you know, roughly two weeks from today. Um, and so I, I'm still thinking the whole time right up to this May 5th date, like, it's just going to go away. Like, you know, in early 2022, the judge, Judge Hall ruled uh, not guilty for six of the nine that were ticketed that, that nine includes myself. Um, one of the one of them paid their fine. So that's seven of nine that are that are taken care of, you know, he missed his court date. So he, he didn't want to get in trouble. He just sent it as $100 and said, I just need to be done with this. Uh, so that's seven of the nine. There was one outstanding, uh, Skylar Bennett, who did have a trial on May 5th. Um, early, eh, a couple weeks ago, I guess it was now, uh, the, end of, the end of May, I believe, Judge Hall found Skylar Bennett, the one that was physically arrested and booked and detained, uh, she found him not guilty of all charges. So trespassing, oh, wow. uh, disorderly huge. conduct, everything, yeah, everything. He was, you know, not guilty of any charge. Um, and I, you know, uh, NH Journal broke that story. So now eight of the nine were taken care of, and I was the last man standing. Um, and you know, I got a call last Friday, I guess it was, from Damian Fisher at NHJournal.com, who informed me uh, that the prosecutor was intending to drop the charges eighteen months after the original incident. And I said, Okay. Uh sure, I you know uh, Sure
0: Dave, we'll go with it. Yeah. Uh, I'll wait to hear from my lawyer, yeah. but okay. <laughs>
1: um so That's I did, crazy. you know, I talked to my attorney, Seth Hippel, uh, earlier this week and I said, Hey, um this, you know, NH journal reporter tells me that the he's dropping the charges. There's a quote from the prosecutor in his story. Um you know, what's, what's going on? And he says, well, he hasn't officially dropped the charges yet. So we're, we're waiting on court confirmation that the charges are actually officially dropped.
0: Wow. I mean, 18 months for something like that. Like, it, I, I I know the courts are totally hosed right now because of everything going on with COVID. And they're still playing catch up. It's like I, 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 I work with judges and lawyers and stuff. And it, it, it's crazy what they've been having to deal with. But it's... It, I'm I I'm shocked that that they managed to get that ordinance through. I mean, it's so unconstitutional. It's is where I can get a I can get. Opinionated on it. It's totally ridiculous and should never have happened. And if, if it ended up getting to any federal court at all, ge- getting reviewed, I, I can't imagine it going through unless it was very specifically worded in some fashion. Like, I can imagine maybe something around the Supreme Court justices that are with what they're going through right now because it, it's getting very dangerous in those situations. But I would imagine that would have to be a very temporary order in order until um, due to a risk assessment more than anything else.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, you know, we, I, I filed a 91A request with, uh, the town of Newfield, uh, the department of safety, the department of transportation and the governor's office immediately after this event. Um, I wanted to know more about how this ordinance came to be. What was their enforcement plan? Um, what were the discussions? Where was the origin of the ordinance? Uh, and I, I received only one back. Newfield responded relatively quickly to the 91A request, which is you know, New Hampshire's right to know law. Um, they, and I, I got hundreds of pages of documents from them, including emails from the Department of Justice and the Department of Safety and the new news uh, trooper detail. Um, and the language for the ordinance came directly from uh, Deputy Attorney General Matthew Broadhead or Assistant Attorney General. I forget his official title at the time. Uh, Matthew Broadhead suggested this exact language to the Select Board in in Newfield, and to the uh, Chief Liebenau at the time was the uh, Newfield's police chief, um, and they brought that language up as an ordinance. Um, it went through all three readings as as it's supposed to. Um, initially, they did try to put it through relatively quickly, you know, same week kind of thing. And and I Michael Sununu, which is. Uh, Kristen Chris Newton's brother it serves on the Newfield Select Board and he recused himself from discussion, but did ultimately end up voting for the ordinance uh, one week before it took effect. Um so that, you know, that in itself in itself raised questions for me as a reporter at the time. I was like, I need to I want to know more about like where did this language come from? Like was Michael texting Chris or, you know, whatever. Um, but due to the, you know the the emails that I did receive, uh, showed that the language came directly from the attorney general's office. Um, and they implemented that. Uh, the The attorney, Matthew Broadhead, that suggested the language says that this exact wording has su- survived a Supreme Court challenge in the past um, using the captive audience um, exception to the First Amendment. You can't, you know, uh, the ruling there was, uh, I think the ruling was related to a bunch of protesters that were yelling through a bullhorn at somebody's private residence. And um, the Supreme Court said, well, you do have the right to free speech, but they also have the right to not listen to you. Um, so you can't use a captive audience to, you know, you can't force your voice upon a captive audience. They're in their house. Um, they, they have an expectation of privacy in their house, and they also have the freedom of association. And uh, so, so that was a slightly different case, obviously. The, the protesters on the evening in question didn't have any bullhorns they weren't yelling at the governor's house they weren't doing anything like that they were just standing there they had you know candles ready with their wax paper cups like it like
0: you know oh yeah and you're a reporter like 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 I understand the confusion over it but the second after the next day that should have been totally revoked that is totally unacceptable.
1: Uh, yeah, I, t- I tend to agree, obviously. Um, I think, you know, I'm a, I consider myself a First Amendment absolutist, um, especially when it comes to freedom of the press. I think, you know, without a free press, uh, our government could get away with a lot of things that it absolutely should not. Uh, people wouldn't know about it. Um, you know, you look at, you know, famous cases, I'm not comparing this to any of those, of course, but you look at famous cases in the past where the press, um, you know, Watergate is a great example. Um, and if, you know, you know, uh, any restriction on the freedom of the press um, that hampers their ability to to shine to shine sunshine on on what the government is doing and report that back to the to the people, I think is is very dangerous. Um, yeah. So I think you know one one real interesting part that I saw in the NH Journal article written by Damian Fisher was when he was asked about why he continued to prosecute me as a reporter. He said, you'll have to ask the state police about that. What a mess.
0: What a mess. Well, either way, it's it knock wood here. looks like it's about done here. Happy to be hearing that at least. And it, it's just it's just gross, honestly, in my opinion. Uh, you, give a quick plug. Where can people uh, check out what you're up to now, uh, namely your Twitter and such, I'm assuming?
1: Yeah, so, so what I'm up to now is I'm the grassroots engagement director over at American for Prosperity New Hampshire. We're a, you know, a nonprofit political advocacy organization uh, trying to get government out of the way of citizens to achieve their dreams. You can find me on Twitter at MAID, M-A-I-D underscore C-J. You can find out what Americans for Prosperity is up to uh, Facebook and Twitter at A-S-T underscore N-H and our website, americansforprosperity.org.
0: Chris Maidman, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, AJ. Great to be here. It's the New England Take on WKXL. We'll be back after this.